Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live from America podcast. This is Hatem, along with Mr. Norm Dorman, the owner of the Comedy Cellar. And we have an all-star uh, team today. Um, we have Emmy Award nominee and former writer for SNL comedian Tony Darrow. Hi, Tony. Hello. And a very funny voice, Hiken, from We the Internet and performs all over the city. Hello. Hello. And our guest of honor, we have Mr. Alcider Mackay. He is an award and festival winning screenwriter and director and working on his new project right now, a feature film about an average man and his battle against addictions called Anonymous. Welcome to the show from UK. Hey. Joining us from UK. Yeah, all the way from UK. And uh, also Ashwan, she's a producer, actor, singer, and radio host from Los Angeles. And she's the co-producer for Anonymous, the movie. Hello. What's up? Hello. Uh, and uh, Dr. Jerry Optoff, he's a friend of the show, and he's a psychotherapist who specializes in addiction, recovery, and grief. Welcome, everybody. Hello, everyone. So, Tony, you said you, you had a question that you wanted to start with. Okay. Well, I was just going to ask the, the doctor, um, Why does how, how do rehabs work now <laughs> with social distancing? How do people go? People, I'm sure people are drinking more than ever. How do people go into rehabs now? Uh, rehabs are struggling because a lot of them have closed up during the COVID uh, at the start of this. So uh, people are struggling getting help and treatment uh, right now. I can actually answer this partially because I had to put someone into rehab uh, close to me in the middle of all this. And so we, uh, I'm going to protect the privacy, but basically for Three weeks, they were in an inpatient facility that was uh, like reduced uh, capacity and reduced who could visit. And then now what would normally be sort of inpatient, they're doing is outpatient, like five hours a day of Zoom meetings, basically, which seems uh, mixed as far as the efficacy and, and how how it compares to in person, I'm sure. I have to ask, what state did they do the inpatient in? Uh, they were, went to a hospital first because they were in a state where the inpatient could not take them, uh, right. where their life was in danger. And then after the hospital, we took them to inpatient and there, they were fully detoxed at the point at which they were inpatient. But when I spoke, uh, to them, there were other kids there that were detoxing where, you know, they, they wake you up every hour in the middle of the night to make sure you're healthy and awake and stuff. And yeah. But was the inpatient facility like in the tri-state area or was it in New, in New Jersey? Okay. Cause most of the ones I heard were like closed. I know people were going to Florida and I just wow. set somebody up with the sober living in mm -hmm. Florida this weekend. Uh, so I know obviously depending on the state and what was going on, most in New Jersey, I heard were closed. Yeah. They're reduced capacity, but open and you know, they're, there were multiple people in there. I know that. I'm glad, yeah, glad you got them to, to I'm yeah. glad you got them to do it though. You know, that's, that's Absolutely. Great. You're such a great friend, Boris. That's why I, I have you around. <laughs> so, so from the UK, the director of the anonymous, can you tell, you kept yourself uh, busy during the lockdown, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was kind of the, the start of it. I had the idea to write the film before that. It was kind of swimming around in my head. And then like a lot of people, lockdown hits and like everything stops no income for the next like at least three months foreseeable and you kind of look at it and go well I can either sit and and kind of mope and and moan about it 
or I can get on and do something. So I just started writing um, and I wrote the first draft of Anonymous in about a couple of weeks and did a table read. It went well. And it's just kind of like a steam train from there. It's just just so much interest and so much attention and in a really, really good way. You know, so, so um, why, why, why addiction? Why now? So um, why addiction? Like, like I said, I mean, it's something that's that's been on my heart for a while. I stopped drinking in 2013. Um, I was never would never call myself an addict, but I was consciously aware of the effect it could have on my life. Mm. Um, and why now? Two things happened to me in the first um, week, two weeks of, of lockdown, which, which sort of galvanized things. The first one was a buddy of mine uh, who was a recovering cocaine addict. Um, and I was talking to him in, from a research standpoint to write the script. Uh, and about 10 days into lockdown, he had a relapse and he attributed it entirely to lockdown because effectively he's trapped inside, all his demons, his routine is gone. All the things that addicts rely on uh, were gone. And he was doing the Zoom meetings thing, but it just wasn't working for him. And then the other thing that happened, actually on the same day, um, I went to my, my corner store here in London, which is basically how we're surviving because the, the supermarkets over here are just like mayhem. So everyone's going to their corner stores to get their milk and their eggs and their bread and, and this stuff. Um, and I was in there and the guy in front of me in the queue was like unloading this basket full of vodka and, and lager and just piling it all on the till. And he had this smile on his face, like his plan for lockdown was just going to be a sit in his house and get smashed every <laughs> single day. Is Tony You sure that wasn't me? <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, one day I had my first drink at five o'clock. I had a beer and I felt like I had quit drinking. I felt, wow, wow five o'clock. <laughs> I haven't had a drink all day. Like, Wow, five, really? Five p.m. Over it. At five p.m. Yeah, wow. that's me, but with weed, which you can't be. Same. The, right? Same. Everyone agrees. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I, I wouldn't wait till five o'clock to start with weed. <laughs> it depends on what <laughs> I. What's wrong with the morning? <laughs> Wor working out is the only thing that like working out, and it used to be performing. I wouldn't smoke if I had chosen night, and that's been uh, very enabling for me not having chosen. <laughs> so, Doctor Jerry, uh, uh, you know. Uh, he said something very interesting. He's like, I, I've been drinking, but, but I'm not an addict. How do you know if you're an addict? What's the definition of, you know, because everyone, all of us is like, I'm not an addict. I'm only having 10 shots, but I'm okay. Oh, I just sat through these workshops. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Typically, my answer is when you use something and it causes negative consequences to your life. So whether it's your spouse, loved one, friend, bitching, moaning, complaining every time, whether it's affecting your work, your school, you know, your, any kind of negative influence affecting your life, you're having a problem. Well, I guess I'm a marriage addict. Norm, have you ever been, I mean, uh, you have, you know, major businesses and, you know, a lot of, a lot of operation going. Have you ever been addict to anything? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not that, I don't have that kind of personality, thank God. Like even when I was playing in a band and I was drinking all the time, um, just as part of the habit of like being, like I would never, if, if I didn't go to work, I would never drink. Like it, since I've been in lockdown, I haven't had a single sip of alcohol the entire time. Even though I might come to work and drink in the olive tree and socialize, whatever, there's not a single urge to have a single drink while I'm in, in five months. There's no interest in it whatsoever. But you, you perform as a musician every day. 
you drink every day, right? I was, but I, but I'm saying I, that, that, that was part of the routine of drinking, but uh, it wasn't, you know, it loosened me up to drink and, and it was part of that thing, but I never, I never formed a habit. Yeah, I, you you're know, at home with three kids also. So it's, you know, no, I just, I just, it's always been like that. I just don't, I don't have, I'm pretty sure much of it's genetic. I just don't have that. Like I know people, I'll keep them anonymous too, Boris, but I know people <laughs> who like when they, when they have, um, when they have one or two drinks or three drinks, uh, all of a sudden it's never enough. Then it, all of a sudden something turns on and they have to drink till they pass out. I've right. always been like, Oh shit. No, no, not keep, I don't want another one. I've had enough. I've always been that Absolutely. way. So. Yeah. Right. So I, I, have, I have a guy that I've worked with who he struggles with. Is he an addict or is, it, is he an alcoholic or not? And he drinks one, once or twice, maybe four times socially, doesn't have a problem. Inevitably, he's fallen down. He's passed out. He's embarrassed his family at a function. He's got to be carried out. And he'll, he'll do well for a while. And then all of a sudden, well, I think I could drink socially. I'm like, where you know what this pattern's like. That's where you're like, you're an addict. You're not going mm -hmm. to do this without having a problem. Yeah, yeah. Ash, Ash you, you're doing something new with, with this movie. It's like you guys doing a very low budget to start. How, how are you going to manage wait, to do wait, that? Just, can, can I just comment on what he said? Because I am curious about this. Is Who? he actually an, uh, what, what, what doctor, you call him Dr. Jerry now? Dr. Dr. Jerry said. Yeah. Um, uh, that is he really an addict or is he vulnerable biochemically? In other words, he probably did that the first time he ever put a drink to his lips, right? That's probably, he never, he, he's like that even if he's not addicted to it. It's just, he's susceptible to, he can't, well, I mean, you understand what I'm saying. He, he's not able to handle drinking, probably just born that way. But I think it's I think it's the point that, that the minute it starts to cause him harm yeah. on a regular basis and he keeps going. Yeah. I mean it's I a distinction maybe without a difference, but it's interesting. Most people and most I mean look, most people when you first try a substance don't necessarily have a negative consequence. We have a positive experience with it. It relaxes us, it makes us feel good. We could talk to the girl or the guy across at the party and we have a quote unquote good time. Sooner or later that switches. So with the guy that I'm mentioning, early on he talks about he was you know, the, the drinking champ in any game that went on because he could consume large quantities and not quote unquote have a problem. That has since changed. Mm. Um, all right, Ash, back to the question. Um, yeah, so uh, you guys doing a very uh, unique thing in this lockdown is like you're doing a, a micro-budget movie, right? Yeah. So essentially, we're, we're fundraising right now because we've had big investors want to come in because they've read the script and they can see how amazing it is. And I just need to toot Alistair's horn because I actually love his writing. And... Um, I think it's just, it's like, if you ever, I just told him if you've ever, if you've ever seen Memento, and I don't know if you guys have seen that. Memento is one of my favorite films. And um, when I read uh, the script, I just thought, my goodness, like, I, I need to make this film. And so a lot of people who've read the script have come in and said, you know, hey, I'll buy it out from under you guys. And we would lose effectively creative control. Uh, mm. So we're fundraising in order to keep creative control right now. And we're doing an Indiegogo. So my IG, just to throw that out there, my Instagram is at who is Ash Warren. 
Uh, you can follow the film. It's anonymous underscore the film on Instagram. You can click the link in our bio. And if you can donate any amount, that would be great. Um, essentially, we're just trying to explore the realm of 21st century addiction and the pathway in which it takes to maintain sobriety. And yeah. like Alistair was saying, addiction has hit all of us, uh, you know, in such a ubiquitous fashion. And personally for me, my, my best friend, Kevin Hayes died 10 years ago, um, from a heroin overdose. Uh, it's, it was, it's really traumatic how everything went down. I've been in therapy for it basically ever since I've discovered I've had PTSD from, from dealing with this. And so, um, in effect, it's, it's kind of like, even though I couldn't help Kevin, I couldn't save Kevin, maybe this film will, shine a, a light or expose a mirror to those who feel like they do have an addiction and say, you know, maybe it's time to get help. And so that's where we're kind of going with this. How'd, how'd you guys do the casting and table reading and all that in, in the lockdown? Yeah. Well, well, the, the, the table reading was zoom. That was a zoom table read, which the first time I've ever done that. So yeah. it, was, it was okay though. I mean, it was just like this pretty much. Yeah. Um, but do you feel as a director that you can really like feel everything? I'm not an ex, I don't know, but you know, Yeah, I think well with, with the casting, that's definitely kind of what you're getting at is, is definitely the case. We did we did our first um, as a couple of people I've cast the actors I've worked with before, so I know what they're like and I know their strengths and weaknesses. We came to a character that that uh, I needed to sort of cast out, um, and we did a casting on Saturday, and even just finding uh, a location to do the casting that was open, we had to in the end the one we found was like in the far end of East London. And a lot of our actors live in like Southwest London. So like an hour and a half for them to get there with their masks on the tube. So it was a bit of a rigmarole, but, but, but like you say, I mean, uh, you know, you've got to do it from an act director's perspective. There's, there's a certain uh, chemistry and a response to the lights in the room. I think with self tapes, which are all the trend these days, um, you always know that you're getting the actors 14th or 15th take because they've got like a frock and they're all dolled up in the costume that they want to wear. And, and, And you can just see they've got their, their movements blocked out. And it's like, well, this isn't your first take. And I don't need an actor that can do it on take 15. I need an actor that can do it on take one. So what about, uh, let me ask you a question about your film. I don't know. Uh, does it deal with just the, um, uh, the people that are addicted? Because to me, it seems like the people that are addicted are sometimes more like, say, um, terrorists. And everyone around them uh, gets the fallout of their addiction. Mm. I mean, they get it yeah, too. Really but I think I think there's more victims from the addict. You know, the addict causes more victims. I mean, exactly. the addict might be a victim as well. You're right. But you're he right. leaves yeah. a, 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 a body strewn along the, the the path, like a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, man. And and I think I think it's a really good question, and 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 uh, it's something I was really conscious of, um, because I think that sometimes it's the hidden victims that addicts don't realize they're affecting. Um, if you like, and uh, Ash being a, a good example from what she was saying. Uh, I mean, that's 10 years, and it's, you know, it's still, but in terms of the script, um, uh, the whole thing's set in real time. So it's all in, in one AA meeting, one in one recovery meeting. So the characters you actually physically meet are all recovering addicts. No. But um, we get it, we, we sort of delve into their lives and get to know about their, um, their families and the people that uh, are around uh, within the context of that. Um, but the reason that was important to me was because traditionally, uh, when a movie is made about addiction, it tends to be demonizing the substance or, right. or seeing the, 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 um, destruction of a human being. 
through the use of this substance. And what, what we wanted to do uh, was create a platform to paint people who are in recovery as heroes because they're in recovery. And, 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 and elevate those people and say, this is a path. And that was what Ash was saying earlier about, we don't want somebody could throw a lot of money at us and yeah, but you have to put a scene where somebody has an enormous overdose in it because that's sexy and because that sells. I'm not interested in that. I want to make heroes of people that have done heroic, amazing things in their lives that can inspire other people to make the same choices they've made. I think it's a great point. One of the things that I point out to my patients um, quite frequently is the only people who use the term like alcoholic or addict are people who know they have a problem. But society for the longest time has painted this like stigma, like if you're an addict, you know, you should be under an underpass somewhere if you're a pariah. But I go, the person who's out using today is doing everything possible to deny they're an addict or an alcoholic. It's really a word of strength and, and um, well, just a word of strength that, you know, we need to change that stigma with that term. If I may follow up with that, um, that is, oh, I'm not going to cry today. I don't have waterproof mascara on, so I'm not crying. But um, <laughs> neither do I. Tony didn't cry either. I, I won't cry. I've been trying to really get get through this in therapy. My biggest thing about that is when my friend, because my friend, we we're from Los we're from Los Angeles, but my friend was originally from Albuquerque, and so he came there for high school to act, and he realized he didn't want to do that, so he went back to New Mexico. So a lot of our friendship after the first few years was long distance; it was by phone. So it's very easy for him to for him to have hit, hidden his addiction. And so when I found out that uh, he was he had. Uh, had a DUI, he crashed his car into a tree, he had to be airlifted to the hospital, he went to rehab for a few months. Um, I came, I went to go see him and um, he was in a sober living and then he was starting to use again. And instead of me being sympathetic to him, instead of me trying to be there for him, I, I, I said to him, I said, I can't associate myself with people like you, because I thought it was a nasty, dirty thing. I was 21. It was just, it was really terrible. And he was dead a week later. And in his diary that he wrote, he wrote that my words had affected him. Mm. So that is something, oh God, I'm not going to sorry. But, but, but maybe it affected him positively, you know, you never know. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know about positively because the way that, I mean, I have his diary and I, I know exactly what he said and it wasn't good, but I just don't, I think that if you have addiction, I think that you should have a community around you to help propel you to get clean, to, to be sober. Yeah. But before and that, you need, you need to want to be helped. That's true. No, you know? that's, that's entirely true. But so with this film, we're trying to destigmatize addiction because there is such a stigma around it. There's still stigma around mental health, yeah. you know, in, in this country. Um, most insurance doesn't even cover therapy. It, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so that's something with this film. Gandhi said it best, be a part of the change you want to see in the world. I want to see this changed. Yeah. So I, I wonder, I wonder if you uh, doing the casting and you have two actors that both same level and one is an addict, 
and drunk show up to casting drunk and the other one is not would you take the one with little life experience in that over because <laughs> that's would, really I, method. I, I i would i would show up drunk if i was an actor and like I'm a it looks like i'm gonna be a movie star <laughs> i was like i can make it <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's method and there's method, isn't there? There's, um, yeah, there's method and there's method. <laughs> um, I don't know, Al, what, what, no, but, you're, but you're you in really, doing the casting. What would you do if someone showed up? Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, mean, I mean, the first question you'd raise is you'd go, when you're, even when you're doing a scene in, the, in a movie where people are, are supposed to be drunk, you don't use real alcohol because you've got to you do 15, 20 takes of the thing from different angles. No, you but can't what, have somebody downing a lager every single take. What if he was an addict? Like he had, he know how it feels. Does that, uh, yeah, completely. That, if he if he came in the room sober and said and said, uh, or she, you know, um, in the room sober and said, this is an experience that I've had, um, and I could see he was affected by the 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 um, the text by the the subject matter is the best way to put it. Then I would, I would, I would imagine that his accessibility to to the character is going to be easier for him and therefore it makes him more attractive to me as an actor but there's so many other different things of you know camera technique and experience and and, and all the other stuff that you you judge on um when you're casting but yeah i guess in theory if they were completely level in every area so i lost my chance i lost my chance <laughs> not gonna work well, not <laughs> If I may, in regards to casting, because um, I know people will be hopefully following us and checking out the updates for all of our casting, we're still casting right now. And we um, are pushing for diversity and inclusivity. Um, so even though a lot of, I'm in the LA office, if you will, but all of the casting's being done in the United Kingdom in London. So, you know, it's, we're doing essentially what's called colorblind casting. We, we're doing any ethnicity, you know, a lot of times we have an age range, but we're willing to see slightly older, or slightly younger people, depending. And, you know, if it's transgender, LGBTQ, little people, we, we want to be inclusive because the thing is, is that, and I know it's not to get super political here, but with all of the racism that's going on and how all communities of color are affected with racism and bigotry, the kind of thing about addiction is that it unilaterally unilaterally binds people because it doesn't matter what your race is, what your culture is, what language you speak and how much money you have in the bank. If you have addiction, it hits you. And so we want to show that every walk of life can be afflicted with addiction in this film. But honestly, it doesn't really matter. I mean, like, is it sometimes you need to pick a white guy or a black guy or an Asian guy for a character? I mean, that's, that's, Normal, not, nece you know? not necessarily, but I mean, if you do want to show, you know, the different array of people that can be affected, you know, that might be something you take into consideration, which is something that we're trying to do. I, I, yeah, I did a, uh, sorry to jump on Ash, I, I did a, a, a TV series a couple of years ago, um, a, a, like a comedy superhero thing. So nothing remotely um, sinister addiction film. It was completely the opposite. Uh, and I'd written it, and and when I wrote it in my head, I had this very clear idea of of it was going to be a typical superhero, chiseled jawed white dude with the the black hair, basically Dean Cain. Um, mm. And, um, and when I went to, when I went to the casting, I made a conscious effort to do colorblind casting, and I, I ended up casting um, a a British Asian dude who was just unbelievable. Um, and it ju it just goes to show that if you take that attitude of, particularly in the twenty first century whatever's in your head as a, from a casting perspective, get rid of it and then see a range. 
and then you never know what what even to the extent of if you can see guys and girls and you never know when you can change the sex of a character so if you if you're making a movie about about mandela who would you cast? <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. yeah. all right. Yeah. Cast that's, me. That's biographical. That's like different. You're portraying a real, real I, living person. I, I, they did it with Hamilton. Yeah. That, there you go. There you go. Is, they did it with Jesus, right? right? Yeah, they knew it with that's Jesus. Right. We got like Jesus. <laughs> no, Noam, you have, you, you have large staff, and I always wonder because I worked for you for a long time. Do you know if the staff is? Um, Drinking or addic addicted or have alcohol problems? Why well, I always assume they are sneaking drinks. We try our best to catch them. What are you going to do? You, I mean, you... <laughs> but what what if somebody is like? Because I know you give a lot of second chances to people that were like fucked up all the time, and you still got them to get go back to work and all that. Well, what's the question? I said, can can you figure out right away when you see somebody that he's an addict or have an addictive personality when they start working? Not right that. away, but 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 usually it, it usually it outs, you know. But I mean, there's different there's different types. There's there's people who can really keep sober, and then they go wild after the shift. And there's other people who who actually seem never seem wild, but they're drinking all the time. There's there's all different kinds of ways that it manifests. Um, I mean, I had I had bad situations with musicians where I mean who, who were drinking, and I. I told them they weren't allowed to drink anymore at the club and because I felt, you know, responsible in some way. And then they would just bring flasks to work. So, you know, it's really. Oh, wow. It's Let me hard. ask you a question. Did you Somebody ever see um, Geraldo? Um, uh, I never saw him out of control. Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, we're talking oh, yeah? about Greg, Greg Geraldo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I remember him getting on me one time, like, never seen anybody drink so much. He said to me. No, no, he. he I never saw him. Well, I've seen you out of control too, but but um no, I <laughs> he, he was he was kind of he could get a little nasty when he was drunk. Oh um, yeah, yeah, but um he but his his problems went beyond alcohol. Right, right, right. I never saw him like where he like he was bouncing off the, the walls or anything. I, I might have a couple of drinks, but I never saw him out of control. Here's a question off of that for the uh, doctor: like, is how cons consistent is that correlation? Where like. To me, it seems like most people around me and this person recently, there's some sort of psychological route to the addiction. It, how often is it that there's some sort of other untreated psychological issue that's causing the addiction versus the addiction being its own like siloed issue? I would say the majority of people have what we call a dual diagnosis. So there's a mental health issue and there's the substance abuse issue. Which one's primary? It takes a little while to figure out. And one feeds into the other, I'm sure. Yeah, and they're, they're interrelated. Is there such a thing as addicted personality? I would say yes, but is there any evidence of that? Not necessarily that I could think of, but I think there are people that have addictive personalities. You give them something and they're going to abuse it. So Bodybuilders, bodybuilders are a great example of that for addictive personalities mm -hmm. because a lot of bodybuilders were addicts and instead of like having their addictive personalities like charged uh, through drugs and that type of stuff, they get healthy and then they get addicted mm -hmm. to like winning. I don't know. 
making one of the things I notice, and, and it, I mean, this is probably exactly what you do in, when you're treating them is that it's hard to separate them, separate out because a lot of these people, they have stories from their childhood, which were so traumatic, but then you realize, well, that's because their parents were drinking. So, yeah. so you don't know. Yeah, genetic. Yeah. So how do you yeah. separate them out? Like, yeah, I mean, if, if my parents were drunk all the time, I'm sure they would, they would have traumatized me in all kinds of ways. And then if I'm drinking, I don't know if it's because they passed down the trauma or because they passed down the propensity for alcohol or both. Right. Is it genetic or is it just because there's so many other things you have in common with the people that are your parents aside from your genes? Same thing with, ch with uh, child abuse, uh, physical abuse, you know, it's like, right. is, is the cycle because they're prone to be violent or is a cycle because they were hit. Nobody really knows that. You know? Right. No one's arguing that there's a child abuse gene, but it's kind of a no, people, argument. people do argue there's a child abuse gene. No, they really? do. That, yeah, yeah, that's but a lack of, lack of violent, violent temper gene or lack of control. I think, I think oh, my, it, fa I think my father was a violent heroin addict and his parents weren't drinkers and I'm not violent. Uh, I might drink, but I'm not a heroin How do you feel about heroin? Why, why have boxing gloves it's great. <laughs> what? Well, not, not, not everything is passed down. I mean, not, you know, genes. But genes. He, he didn't get it from anywhere. Maybe the environment, the time he grew up in, the 60s, you know, the 50s and the 60s, well, it was more available to young people mm. in New York than if he grew up in Oklahoma, say. Well, I mean, my father was addicted to marijuana, obviously. He was, he was hot. I mean, he was. So he, this guy. <laughs> He functioned perfectly normally, but he but he needed a, a little smoke every day. He just needed it. He was, he was too high strung or something, you know. But I, I don't have that. I don't know. Is there a distinction though there between like a, addiction versus a habit? Yeah, like, please. That's a good question too, Note Forest. Oh my god. I would go back to the consequences of the use. So. <laughs> The 70-year-old grandmother who has a glass of red wine every night because her doctor tells it's good for her heart, when we say that's a habit, the person drinking two bottles of red wine every night might have a problem. Um, going back to the question that was going back before of you know, the genetic pieces, look, at some point, we're all wired a certain way. Okay, There is a wiring. There's a certain part of our personality, our characteristics, our children's characteristics, that they're just wired that way. And then there's the environmental piece of it. You know, I have in total four children. Uh, my wife and I have one from our previous marriages and then we have two together. They are, you know, can I sit here at times and go, okay, yeah, this one's like that one and this one's like yours and sure. But at some point they're also then their own individual uh, people or personalities. There's some, that, that part that they're wired that way. And then part of it is they're going to develop. Hmm. We'll call it issues. It's like some comedians I know, like before they go to stage, they have to have a beer with them or a shot or a cigarette back in the day. I remember when, when they stopped smoke, uh, the smoking law in, uh, uh, in New York, a lot of comedians struggle because they're so used to just the habit of having a cigarette and a drink, you know? Right, but that's, okay, I'm getting, uh, I would question like, okay, I'm getting on stage, you know, I'm hoping to be funny. I got to take that edge off because we all get those butterflies, those nerves. What's one of the greatest fears most people admit to? Public speaking. Yeah. So if yeah. we say, hey, if you had a public speak, 
Would you like to have a cigarette, a joint, a drink? Most people would probably say, yes, I got to take that edge off, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not, and, and we lose the concept that we're going to suck at things until we get better, you know? Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, for somebody who's uh, starting out as a musician, as a comedian, and getting on stage, they're so worried about sucking, they want to mask those feelings, those butterflies, so they use, <laughs> rather than the concept of, I'm going to suck until I put in my 10,000 hours of, you know, failure until I, I, I hit it big. So, yeah. Well, one of the things we had we had a, a, a comedian and actor, and she said one of the things that she doesn't that she hates about uh, you know the new uh, the lockdown and that the Zoom audition, the competition is too high now. Like you get from all over the world because mm-hmm. everybody's zooming, you know. So is that true? Like you have more options than than before from around the world and stuff like well, that. Well, like I said, I mean, I I I try not to do zoom and self-tape auditions but yeah i guess i guess um where i got frustrated was with the casting was i'd have people like apply for the for the for the job and then we'd send them out for an audition and they'd write back and go oh i can't audition yet because i'm in germany or i'm in japan or i'm in ohio and you're like well you know it was said on the casting breakdown you were going to be required to come in so um and i think it's always been a problem in from from a director's perspective in the film industry that that it doesn't matter what you put on the casting far too many actors will just ignore it and just cut and paste cut and paste cut and paste cut and paste because it's a competitive world for them Uh, and then that makes it harder for me because i've got to sift through two thousand emails to find one that even meets the brief and hence that's why we have casting directors because i don't want to have to do that so i hire somebody else to come in and sift through two thousand emails and, and you're lazy. Industry. You're there's lazy. There's a whole casting directors. <laughs> Two thousand emails. I haven't got that kind of time. Okay. What you're well, describing well, is, I was going to say, what you're describing is probably more a phenomenon in like engineering and like as soon as even right now people are like arguing about Facebook reducing salaries for people that are moving out of major cities and stuff because yeah, now you're competing economically with anybody who can do your job basically in the world or if time zone's a factor than maybe like in a much larger geographic area than if you were just competing in New York City or wherever else. Yeah, no, that's true because um, in LA here, Michael Bay had this huge audition that he opened up. It was like for a commercial for like the pandemic and he opened it up to all of the United States, not just LA. So I don't even want to know mm, how many just, people. When I you said Michael Bay, I just got a massive headache. <laughs> but so, Michael so, Bay. He normally so, comes with an explosion on the screen, but that's yeah. true. It's true. Do you, do, you, do you plan? I mean, like, right now, like all the all the movies are like they're not being released at no theaters. No, like, do you plan what are you gonna do if this continues further while you're done? Like, is it going to be We're a- trying not to think about it. Trying not to think that? about it. Um, there was a guy I read, there was an article, article over here. I think it was an American guy. It was on the BBC about a guy that made a zero dollar budget movie. And it was number one at the box office because he basically hired a movie theater. It cost like $25,000 to hire this movie theater. And then like this sold tickets because there was no other films on anywhere in the world. He was number one in the box office. Um, <laughs> So yeah. it's, we're, we're doing the yeah. film festival route, though, like the with film this film. We're do, yeah. but, but, but I if, mean, even if, film festivals are going to yeah. be affected by this. In terms That's of, um, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is a bad thing. Um, so there's two sides to the coin. And I was just talking to Alistair about this like yesterday, is that 
we can either go full speed because we plan on filming this between August and September of this year and then mm -hmm. October do post-production and then get ready between November and February for all the big film festivals since they will be canceled and everything's going online. So it's like, we take our chances and we go that route. There's probably going to be a lot less films so we could have a better chance at getting distribution deals or we wait a year, see if they open up because Cannes has already been canceled for 2021 and see if 20, the 2021 slash 2022 season would fare us better. So that's like a mm. conversation that we're currently having, but that yeah. is a struggle that filmmakers right now are facing. Do you know when you film the type of restrictions, because I was talking to my manager, he was saying they don't even know right now uh, for production. They're talking about having like the equivalent of like an intimacy coordinator, but for COVID stuff, but they're still like not really a straight answer because, you know, even scientists don't really know yet yeah. on what exactly needs to be done, what kind of regulatory moves they're going to have in order to even have a production, like either with limited people or having somebody on set who knows what they're doing with disinfecting mm. stuff. Al, so, you so, so, yeah, yeah. So, so there's two schools of thought with that. The first one, the preferred option um, from a sort of a medical standpoint, if you like, is that everybody working on the project, cast, crew, everybody self-isolates together for 14 days prior right. to the start of production. Uh, mm -hmm. But obviously, you need a huge budget to be able to do that because you've got to, you know, basically hire an entire hotel um, for, the, for the entire duration. Um, so but that's what Jurassic for indie World stuff, is doing. That's, what, that's Jurassic what Jurassic World is doing, right. Yeah. They got, they um, got greenlit to, to shoot in London. LA hasn't mm. opened up completely, but London has uh, allowed that to happen. So that is something big, big budgets can do. But for us... Oh, because the world really needs another Jurassic World movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, they're already um, risking dinosaurs coming and killing us all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think um, that problem can be solved with the dinosaurs. You just got to let it play out. So we need, we need herd immunity with the dinosaurs among us. <laughs> <laughs> As so long no, as two meters apart, as long as the dinosaurs are two meters apart, we'll be fine. It's, uh, <laughs> no, maybe we, maybe we could do this with the comedy cell. You have the, uh, the comedian uh, quarantine together and just open. <laughs> that would be I don't quite understand Because what if one of the comedians has it and then they all quarantine together and then they spread it to everybody? Like you need them to quarantine separately for, to get, for 14 days. Then they can come together for 14 days, I guess. I, I, Either way, it's a good thing. They met in a hotel. Um, <laughs> Just well, I mean, the other, the other option we're doing is is one meter apart, which with our project is going to be okay with the actors, I think, for the most part. Um, <laughs> but um, but the, the real problem is going to be the crew, because I've, yeah. I've got a gaffer and a grip and a and a and a spark like combining to put a light up. They can't stay a meter apart. So um, yeah, that's that, that's the at the moment it's one meter, uh, and we're hoping that by the time that we we come to film, because um, our numbers in the UK are are going down a lot quicker than, than yours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why? I wonder why. Oh, you have to... I think... I, we think I, you I, wonder the, I wonder in the future if we can tell the movies that was filmed during the pandemic by how right? far, the, by how far the, the actors standing away from each other. You know? <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with them? They're not kissing. Why, why, why are the numbers going down in the UK uh, now? What, what are they doing right? Well, uh, honestly... As their president. Yeah, I mean, that helps. Um, how, how does that help? Well, a lot of... Uh, the way well, I look at it is, I, I don't think we're doing enough. I don't think... I think we're making all the same mistakes that I'm seeing uh, on the news from you guys, but I just think we're, we're making them um, less. 
And I know there are some states, what that, the states? That, what in, the states? in America that haven't, like, like not wearing a mask when you're in a store or on public transport. Like um, a lot of cases, like, especially when the weather's been nice, you, you, you my wife and I, we do a, a run around the park and we're running. So we're not going to be wearing masks as we're running. But literally the park is filled on a nice day with people just gathering as they would do normally. And you just Are they protesting? Anything. No, they're not protesting. They're okay, well, they're no good. <laughs> yeah, this is it. I mean, I, have, I'm so disgusted well. with the American people. I mean, it's nice to blame Trump, but Los Angeles is on fire with this thing. And I don't think that's mm-hmm. because of Trump. So... Um, no, that's true. No, that's true. The, our our biggest issue is, and this is this is we've done, we're doing contact um, investigating. Uh, a lot of the people in Orange County and in Ventura County come in for work because we're in the third phase, so people can go back to work. And a lot of people who work in LA County don't necessarily live in LA County, so that's a big part of it. Is the that everything? The governors no. need to insist on masks everywhere. That's all. There's no other. There's nothing else. I know. Masks in public people, transport. That's the big one because there, there was a period uh, a couple of weeks ago I went through an interview somewhere and I was the only person on the, the central line, which is one of the main tube, tube lines going to the center of London. I was the only person on the central line at six o'clock in the evening in London, uh, which was just crazy to me. I mean, normally, uh, like, like I mean, a study. One of the most, this is not what we're here talking about. One of the most painful things to me about this whole thing is how it's pitted everybody against each other here when it's like, I think Trump is Trump is just a total jackass for the way he's handled these masks. But Jesus yeah. Christ, my my governor in New York, I mean, there's thirty five thousand New Yorkers died from his dumb decision. Mm-hmm. The mayor in New York, in, in Los Angeles, I mean, and and people are just dying to make this a blue state, red state issue. And it's and just, it's not. It's yeah. not. I, I mean, it's public it's health. A of, it's a matter of dumb Americans. Yes. Not wearing masks. I mean, there's nothing. You can't contact trace 350 million people. You can contact trace an event in in Thailand or something where, you know, it's just everybody thinks there's some sort of high tech. Dr. McCoy is going to come along with the with the with the antidote. It's just not the case. If everybody would just wear masks, we've known this for months already. The R not would fall below one. And yep. we'd be fine. But if for some reason, that's too much to ask, including from the fucking president. But you know what? They also injected this into the nursing homes in New York State. Yeah. And that wasn't the president. Think, Half the people who have died in this country have been in nursing homes. Half. Yeah. And I think genuinely the fact that, that Boris, Boris that was up to, got that, it. I mean, if you think about it, if half the people in the, in the country who died in nursing homes, that's half the people died because of local government. You know, some yeah. might say we're addicted to not wearing masks. Yes. Hey. I walked over the, uh, they opened a, a walking path and a bike path over the Tappanzee Bridge, now the Mario Como Bridge a couple weeks ago. So I did it last week. And I'd say half the people w- weren't wearing masks or had masks around there. It's Trump. It's around Trump, there. Tony. It's Trump. Well, whatever, whoever it is, I, well, he's definitely lead, He's definitely leading the charge. It's definitely coming from the White yeah. House. If the president asked- was on TV telling people to wear masks, you wouldn't have this problem. You think those no. New Yorkers, those New Yorkers would probably wear a mask just to spite him? We yeah, hate Trump not, around here. Not, well, they're not New Yorkers. When I got when I came out of there, you'd be surprised how many out-of-state license plates were in that parking lot: Mississippi, Texas, North Carolina. Whatever. I went down to the village. In, in the hotbed of anti-Trump USA, and they weren't fucking wearing their masks, all right? Oh, my God. My, my wife's family all live in, in, you know, in Brooklyn, in, in, in neighborhoods, just partying. I mean, come on now. You I don't get it. One you, man you is not that powerful. Of each other. 
you're in, you're literally it's like it's like in Italy and Spain you're on top of each other in New York how the hell can you not wear a mask it's, it's, but it should be the same in London I mean we're on top of each other yeah. in London as well but uh, I genuinely yes. I think that that whatever you think of Boris Johnson the fact that he got it and he got it fairly early and yeah, recovered from it but I think that made us go oh wow if he's not immune right because he's got money and 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 all the rest of it blah 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 but um so you're saying you we know, should infect Trump on anybody, but I will say also though I think a huge problem is the fact that like we were directly lied to, right? Like it wasn't just yeah, Trump; it was also like uh, people spread it now as like a conservative meme of like Fauci saying like masks don't work, but that's like he he admitted it now. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that they explicitly like lied to people so that they yeah. wouldn't hoard yeah. masks. And now yeah. it's really difficult to trust the scientific community when they're like, we're so, lying to you for your so own good. Let me just tell you, I don't think they lied. I think they really believed masks wouldn't work because there were a lot of studies which claimed the mess. And I don't think Fauci would, would lie. But I'll tell you this, there, there is another way to look at what's going on, which is, okay, 50% of the people died in nursing homes. So if you, right. if you take that out, um, then, New York, then America has 50% fewer deaths. Now, in some of the states, like Florida, the average age now is like 30 instead of 75 or something. Wow. <laughs> now, this is, listen to this statistic, if, if the stats are correct. 180-year-olds will produce as many deaths as 20,000 25-year-olds. 180-year-olds will produce as many deaths as 20,000 80-year-olds. So it is quite different. So you see in Florida now, 30 deaths a day, 35 deaths a day. It might, it might take off, like, but it might not because the truth is if we are just seeing a controlled spread to the young and we are now finally protecting the old and the vulnerable, then this actually is good in a way. I mean, I don't want anybody to die, but because then we'll, it'll, it'll pass through the population and we begin to get some kind of herd immunity. Right. Um, so nobody really knows how this all but but, but out. And it's any one of these any one of these European countries that's very haughty right now, they could turn on a dime to when they start reopening. You know, I'll tell you one other thing. So Cuomo was like very arrogantly complaining about how uh, Arizona reopened. But Arizona reopened at a time when statistically they were exactly where New York claims it needs to be for phase three and phase four. True. Yeah. Like Arizona had very small number of cases, very, uh, a lot of open beds. All, they had all the things on paper that Cuomo was waiting for, for him to reopen. So it kind of makes no sense the way they're, you know, it's like a Mexican- You should move your chair, Noam. The, the, the tide's coming in behind you. Yeah, I know. Damn, Noam. <laughs> can you still you say really Mexican uh, standoff? Can you still say that, Tony? I don't know. If that, if He's self-isolating. He's on the beach. He's self-isolating. <laughs> no one else Actually, around. Actually, can't stay carried off the Japanese, the, the Japanese flu. didn't even lock down. The Japanese didn't even lock down. They just wore masks. They didn't contact trace. They barely tested. They and also they, don't share borders with anybody. So that's part of it. Yeah. They're and lucky I, in that sense. And that's why New Zealand, I think they maybe have like a couple cases that popped up, but they shut their borders down and they all yeah. quarantined for three months. And that prime minister did it right. And My friend was at a cricket game, a fucking cricket game, okay? Yeah. Like last week with thing. like 100,000 people. I was like, Jesus. 100,000 people at a cricket game, is, that's, that's shocking to me. There was I a shit club. I think I'd rather have COVID than cricket game. We saw gay, <laughs> I, mean, I don't get that because we saw tens of thousands of people protesting 
Black yeah. Lives Matter. We saw, I, I saw a picture, We're I don't know, I think it was that. thousands of people out for, for a Pride Week in, in Chicago and, and, and some other city. I don't remember where I saw the picture. So like, I mean, what's, what's the difference? Like if they're doing that, then why can't they go to cricket games? Like what? It, mat it matters why. Well, they shouldn't be doing that. That's, that's, that's the point. They shouldn't that be doing. That ship has sailed. That ship yeah. has sailed. I agree with that's, you. That's, that's, I know. And it's, that's hard because. My daughter, by the way. It's, hey, Hello. Mira. Hello. Hello. I'm going to mute myself. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She gets the beach so fast. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't want to go to the beach any, uh, anymore. <laughs> Dad, you said we were going to have fun at the beach. <laughs> Can I bring it back to a question uh, back on addiction, actually? Because yeah. uh, this is a thing I've noticed a lot, and particularly uh, recently with uh, this personal experience, but so much of recovery is based on certain religious fundamentals. And at this point, uh, a lot of I'm not a religious person, but uh, personally speaking, I think uh, a lot of people need it. And I went through a more militant anti-religious phase when I was younger. And now I'm like some some of my friends who are, you know, atheists and like depressed socialists could probably use a little God in their lives. But that yeah. aside, I see that in a lot of recovery programs, a big step mm -hmm. is like saying you're, you know, we you're um weak against yourself to a higher power yeah. yeah yeah and now i'm like seeing this person close to me go through it who is also not religious who has an averse you know response to being told that they need to believe in god and blah blah, blah. Mm. and now seeing and i'm like you know what i would much rather you became a religious christian than continued being uh an alcoholic and so is there an exception to this i have a friend who runs a heroin treatment center that specifically pushes against the religious aspects of recovery mm -hmm. but i don't know mm -hmm. what the stats are i also know the stats for a lot of these recovery places are most, a lot of people don't get better and they keep they, some they of the people who this person was in there with has mm -hmm. there been back and forth they said their rates actually with alcoholism are significantly better than a lot of the you know heroin use and stuff like that people mm -hmm. who were in there for their sixth seventh time in there so uh, i mean first of all i'm a christian so uh, when i came to write the script my first bit of research was finding out that the the big book was a rich is the thing that has the 12 steps in um, was written, uh, and I'm going to get the title slightly wrong here. It's in the back of my mind somewhere, but it was something like how a hundred uh, guys turned to God to cure themselves of alcoholism was the original title of the big book. So this whole um, admit you're powerless too was very much a Christian thing. And what's happened with AA and other addiction recovery um, programs is that they've moved away from that uh, and, and, and called it the higher power. So whether you, you attribute that higher power as Mother Nature or as, as Allah or as God, whatever, whatever your, your choice is, it's still the same, the same conceptual thing of admitting that you're powerless uh, against something else that's more powerful than you. Uh, and as a Christian, I have zero problem with that whatsoever. Whatever gets you through, you know what I mean? Whatever, whatever helps you to, um, uh, to beat your addiction. Uh, and that's, that's something that I've, without wanting to reveal too many spoilers, that's something that I've addressed in the script as well, is that you don't have to be a Christian to right. go to a recovery right. meeting. I want, to ask, I want to ask the Christian a question. I want to ask, no, no, because, because this, I've really been wondering about this lately. I mean, painfully, and you're, you're, you're probably in a more 
um, woke world that, than I live in, even though I live in a woke. Woke is such a good word. Um, um, two things about Christianity I really admire as a Jew are the concept of forgiveness and the concept that let he was not sinned cast the first stone. Yes. And it's not lost on me at all that those are the first two things that have been completely shunned in our new cancel culture world. When was the last time anybody's been forgiven? And when was the last time anybody paused before casting a stone at something somebody did 10 years ago? So, you know, and, yeah. I, and I wonder if this whole woke thing doesn't isn't substituting for religion in some way. The excuse to be sanctimonious, the, student, the excuse to be judging, the excuse to consider yourself more moral. Um, mm -hmm. I know that's not what we're talking about, but really I'm, I'm just always surprised that Great parallels. so many Christians, nobody's stepping up and saying, hey, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. We don't cast the first stone. Mm -hmm. We believe in forgiveness. When was the last time anybody said any of these things? I, I, yeah. I tell you, I tell you, and then let him answer. Uh, it's called the presidential pardon, you know? Uh, he, Trump got so many people forgiveness, right? Uh, look, I mean, <laughs> look, I mean, I think the issue that a lot of Christians have, myself included, is we recognize our own imperfection. Um, so, so I think uh, it becomes hard to then preach at people, uh, which is almost casting the first stone again and saying, you should be living your life this way and you should be doing this. Uh, because, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm still making mistakes. I'm still sinning and all the rest of that, that stuff. Um, so what, what, how I live my life is I find it important that I have, um, I have a Bible study I go to absolutely without fail every Thursday, and I go to church, which is now on Zoom, um, <laughs> every, every Sunday, and I make that a cornerstone of my week twice a week so that, mm. that I have that checks and balances system in my own life. Um, and, 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 and then in terms of, the people that I preach to and the people that I pray for, um, I keep that within my community. Uh, and when I meet people in circumstances like this, I put it out there that I'm a Christian, but I would never outwardly say, please let me pray for you. It would be, if you come to me, you know, I'm a Christian. And if you come to me, I will pray for you and I will do all these things, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to shove it in your face. You know, everyone, everyone's on their own journey. Everyone's like, I, I didn't become a Christian until I was 35. I was uh, brought up by an atheist and an agnostic. Um, so the, the reasons that I came to God are, are, um, are mine and they're personal to me. And I think that should be the case for everybody, whether you're a Jew or a Christian or whatever. It's, everyone's on their own journey. Did that answer your question or was that just... No, I just realized, whatever. No, no, I didn't mean to joke because, because I admire you for speaking from your heart and I, I have a lot of respect. I'm, I'm, I'm with, well, I, don't, I don't believe, but I have an awful lot of respect uh, for anybody who speaks like you do. And... Um, you know, I, I, I think that even if you don't believe in the higher power aspect of it, the, the teachings of Christianity mm. would, would really come in handy yes. um, yeah. all around from every side. And we really seem to have, we just can, we seem to consider that like old fashioned defunct wisdom. And it's not, it's not forgiveness really is important. And the idea of not judging, having, who hasn't done things they're ashamed of? How many mm -hmm. of these people just pretending like they, they just want to ruin people's lives and we're, and we're pretending that their motivation is good. No, their motivation is ugly. They're looking to ruin people's lives. They're getting off on it. And, yeah. and we're, we're all afraid to say it. Well, the maybe we should forgive them. Yeah. <laughs> the hardest thing to do, hardest thing to do is to forgive yourself. 
Yeah. I want to yes. to the recovery and the addiction thing. Um, you mentioned the Christianity with regards to the film. Mm. And I think something to be considered of, because I've seen this with patients, is we say higher power and we say that it's open to however you interpret higher power, mm. which is true and it's great. One thing I think we fail to realize is most of the meetings end up taking place in churches. Mm. So it's kind of a mixed message we give people is like we accept all religions in AA. However, mm. they're all in, in church. And so then people feel like, well, it's got to be a God. Yeah, totally. Those, yeah. those issues. Why is that? Because the churches donate their spaces? Yeah, yeah. essentially, that's it. Yeah. That's it yeah. And, and that was something that I, I very deliberately, we did the location scout and we had like a list of buildings all over London, but because they weren't open, we had to literally drive around in the car. And we did like two full days of driving around in the car, me and two producers, um, and looking at the locations. And at the top of the list was if it's, if it's in or near a church, it's off the list. And if it's near a pub, it's off the list. Because it had to be the right, visually you know neutral. yeah it's neutral exactly and having the right message and and uh, and so we were looking specifically for a community center that's built to be a community center first and foremost um and i guess i guess london in that respect being a multicultural city um it, it's a little easier because there are a lot of community centers in london um that aren't affiliated to a particular uh, religion so, By the way, no, they have uh, AA meetings in synagogues, but they charge. So. <laughs> you know, Pecco, not funny, Tony. Not funny. I've been to different AA and NA meetings in the past, not for myself, but for like friends or family members. And the weirdest thing is, they were always in either Petco's or like Staples, like work rooms. It's like so. I don't know about that, but that's like a secret weapon of the AAA. Like AA, excuse me, AA. The AA is that they use like really off the wall companies like that to get AA meetings done. Mm. I have to go. I, Ash, I, Ash, what's your name? Is Ash, right? Yes. Because yeah. I, I know it's not iPhone. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, wanted to, I just wanted to tell you something. It's, it's maybe. Yes, my dear. Means nothing, but um, I, I know you told that story before about the reading your friend's diary, and it, and I have a story very, very close to me, which is almost exactly, it didn't happen to me, but happened to a very, very close friend and I was involved in it. Almost, almost unbelievably similar to that. And I just want to tell you from having lived through all that, it means nothing coming from me, but it's really not your fault. I, I just want to tell you, because I, I had another friend who lived with that and went to therapy about it and, and, and lived with exactly what you're, and, and as her friends, we just, and finally, I think she did realize it, re it really, wasn't you were just in the wrong place at the wrong time just mm. i don't know if it helps you to hear that from someone who's older and been through something like that it's really not your fault it's really not so anyway go ahead thank, no thank you for that um this is like the first time i've ever really talked about it publicly um just because it's been so hard but that is something that my therapist and i have been working on especially the past year to two is to forgive myself for mm. not being stronger or being less naive or whatever you want to say um, because I did think it was my fault for a very very long time um, and the crazy thing of it all is that after he passed I'm not kidding he haunted my ass for like six years so he finally I feel like his soul has been at rest because I don't feel him anymore I don't see him anymore there's stuff that I'm just like I cannot believe I've seen this I've heard this I've been touched and I know it was him and I think finally 
he he maybe came to terms with himself and, and, and is at peace. But I appreciate that more than you know. And it actually does mean a lot coming from someone I don't know because you're, you're completely um, objective. So thank you for that. Hope it helps. I All right, uh, everybody, this is, I have to go. My daughter is trying to get into Minecraft. Damn. And she cannot get, <laughs> she come out four times. And so I, I this is the go. first time I see a parent helping the kid do Minecraft. I set up a Minecraft. I set up a Minecraft server so all her friends in the neighborhood can log into our computer and play Minecraft with a mumble server so they can talk to each other at the same time. This dad, this dad's got this dad is great dad. Enjoy your time on the beach, man. That way they don't bother me. No, no, is before you go, is is the comedy cellar open up next week? Well, we um, apparently, if we go into phase three for indoor dining, we're allowed to have indoor dining, and apparently with entertainment, that's that's apparently allowed. But now they're talking about maybe um, uh, um, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, postponing indoor dining for a week or two until they see what's going on with all the spikes around. But if they do allow July sixth indoor dining, then yes, we will start with comedy. What about Vegas? I, I'm afraid Vegas will never open again. It's open right now. No, no, our, our club, our club in Vegas. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Why, yeah. why do you say that? Because the, the, the casino that we're in was already kind of hanging by a thread. And I think, I just think they may never open. It's going to open. You always say that. And I'm always yeah. right. It's going to be open. It's going to be great. People going to need comedy. Well, I, I we don't need, we need Especially comedy. coming out of this. I, I, yeah. I'm not, I don't really care what happens in Vegas. I mean, I hope it opens. I just care that New York opens. I mean, Vegas. Was your was your play? I know you have to go because of Minecraft, but really quickly, yeah. and not to be super off topic, but was your place the first place that Louis C.K. went to go have his like secret thing at? His, yeah. like, no, not yes, yes. When he he was the place like where more he, underground. Yeah. I mean, will. actually, actually, we were the second. Actually, we were the second, was but we were Staten the one. Island. That, the first one, uh, Long yeah. Island. The first one doesn't really count. It was like a little boy thing. What, what's the name <laughs> of that place? Uh, uh, I forgot, but. Was, They're not famous enough to be mad at them. To be mad at them. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's, it's where where Louis C.K.'s uh, you know introduction for his show. That's the seller, Dave yeah. Chappelle, Chris Rock. Well, we we were the ones, and I was the one who got in a lot of trouble about it. And that's actually what you know a lot of these concepts of uh, let he was not sin cast the first stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did a lot of thinking about that at the time. You know, right. what? I'm glad you did. I know a lot of people talk mad shit about him, but and you say what you will, but I think if people want redemption, I think that they deserve to be heard. And so I'm just going to put that out there. Like, you know, it wasn't a bad thing. Thank you for bringing him back in that way. Thank you. That quote is going on Comedy Cellar I hope to see everybody again on our podcast or live in person. That would be great. Yeah, if you guys come to the city. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, Noam. Nice to meet you. I just want to ask you one question because one of the things of... Let's we'll talk uh, shit about Jews now since he's COVID. <laughs> one of the one of the gems of uh, being locked in was uh, discovering uh, they have this thing called BritBox where you get all the BBC shows and uh, watching a show called Inside Number Nine. Have you ever? Uh, have you ever no, I haven't actually. It's, it's a great show. It's written by two guys and it stars two guys uh, in every episode. It's been on for like five seasons. Uh, I think it's on, on BBC on. Two. What's that? On BBC, on BBC Two, so it might be on iPlayer, I guess. I'll check it out. I, I, got, I, I watch on Amazon Prime. It's a great, great show. But it's these two mm -hmm. actors and writers, and they, they, they perform and write every single episode. And they reach like, like Twilight Zone with 
dark humor. Each each episode is a standalone episode. I'll check it's it so out. I'll check it out, fantastic. man. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I've just I've just finished uh, Ozark, so I'm looking uh, for Ozark. Yeah. Else to uh, get my teeth into. Third, third season was good. Second season amazing, was amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm still watching Frasier. It's okay. Oh God. You're still watching Frasier. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna still start, watching I'm gonna start rewatching Seinfeld soon. It's it's time. It's time. You got to go back to Seinfeld. Seinfeld. No. Like, uh, and if you, if you watch every it, couple uh, of years, you got to start rewatching it. Seinfeld, uh, when he did his uh, movie Comedian, right after he stopped uh, Seinf uh, Jerry Seinfeld's show, you know, uh, it was taped in the cellar. The whole thing. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. As well. Awesome. Uh, so so uh, when is Anonymous coming out? When we film it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, I mean, the target the target is early next year because the festival mm -hmm. run's going to start. November, December, but yeah. everything's about pinning it right now, you know, because we don't even know. But, but to, play, to play in a festival, you have to not be uh, shown anywhere else first, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, would so you hold off? Run, and then we get the cinema distribution off the back of the festival run. So yeah. it's probably going to be realistically the middle of next year when it will come out in cinemas. Yeah. So which, you won't wait for Cannes? For Cannes? Uh, I've done Cannes. So, he's, so I'm kind of, yeah, I know he's you have I know, I, have, I know you have, but so. you, you don't want to do this for this movie? Because it's, it's pretty big, you know, for... <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, look, realistically, we'll have that conversation and the producers and I, and we'll work out the best places to go. But the way we're looking at it right now is, is where the interest is, is generated in the film, and, and that's sort of where we'll go. So I've had a lot of interest from the States, I've had a lot of interest from um, uh, Australia and Singapore. Um, so we'll kind of look towards... Um, those areas, I think, and, and, and aim for those. But and the UK, of course, because it's a yeah. British. Um, and did you did you consult any like? Uh, I wonder when you write it, did you consult somebody like Dr. Jerry or or like people that been through this? Like who who was your team that you talked to or interviewed? So, so um, I did speak to a couple of people, and one of our one of our um, uh, a cast actually is a, um, a a psychotherapist on on the NHS. So she was incredibly useful to speak to her. Um, but the majority of the people I spoke to were uh, addicts in recovery um, because obviously the nature of the film is it's from their perspective rather than them going in and seeing a doctor. So um, I spoke to a wide range of people, cocaine addicts or recovering cocaine addicts, I should say, um, uh, uh, recovering alcoholics, uh, sex addiction, uh, all sorts. And we try and cover a, as broad a spectrum as we can in the, in the film. But it is set at AA meeting, so there is that unifying... Um, factor um, but why alcohol as opposed to drugs as opposed to sex as opposed to gambling as opposed to whatever um, it just felt like the most unifying one um, in terms of uh, the most pub public one if that's the best way to put it the one that everyone can most well, the abuse substance. The most publicly abused. yeah 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 so and, and and also a lot of a lot of people um, go to AA meetings so they can find AA meetings, even though they're not necessarily an alcoholic, they're a drug addict or, or they're an addict of some kind. And because they can't necessarily find an addiction recovery meeting in, in, that, that deals with their addiction, they'll just go to an AA meeting. And it's also a big business too. I mean, look at during the lockdown, I don't know how it worked in the UK, but here in the United States, one of the essential services was liquor stores. The liquor stores yeah. stayed open. Yeah, I know, know, that's weird. No, but you know why? What, why? Most people don't know why the liquor stores stayed open. Because if people, if they shut the liquor stores down, people would start to detox. 
They would start having the DTs and they would overwhelm the healthcare system. Oh. You would you'd be having hallucinations, sweating, fever. You would think you would, you know, oh my God, I got this. You would flood the healthcare system. And so, or the, you know, the hospitals and stuff. So part of the reason for keeping it open was to keep the numbers, you know, from spiking of people over uh, indulging the, the healthcare system. Well, I know I've more alcohol, alcoholics that are creating. Alcohol. Bo boys, have you ever been uh, close to, um, to being an addict to anything? Being a comedian? Uh, I, I, smoke, a, I yeah. smoke a lot of weed, but I think I yeah, would we know that. So do I. I. So yeah, I. but I think I would say I don't have an addictive personality in the sense that uh, during my time in college, I've tried basically everything you can try, yeah. and I've never had any issues with anything. Are, are you the one that told me that um, in your neighborhood, the ice cream truck sells weed? No, that wasn't me. Wasn't you? Yeah, That's wasn't magical. I, I need that in my neighborhood. I, I know. And he was I need like, that ice cream truck. And he, wow. was say, he was saying, like, I was wondering why there's an ice cream truck at four o'clock in the morning, and then they found out that he's selling weed, which was great, you know. That's what's way, up. It sells, it sells weed in the morning and ice cream in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> like for the, for the munchies. And instead of kids running after it, it's all adults. So it's like, what, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Tony, have you ever been uh, close? Because uh, you look like you've been through uh, some... Uh, some oh, I, I don't know if there's a drug. I never took ketamine, but I don't know if there's a drug I haven't taken. I mean, I pretty much, you know, I'm, you know, I, I was young in the 70s. So, you know, we did everything. <laughs> I mean... I mean, you know, you know, I always had cocaine on me. We did heroin. We did uh, black beauties, quaaludes, um, uh, crystal but you meth. Were but you were never, it's not about doing right. it. Were you ever addicted to any of it? Um, I don't think, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I've just always just uh, self-medicated and, uh, you know, <laughs> after 61 years, uh, I think I, uh, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I think I've always kept it under control. I, I think what I'd be considered like, like a functional alcoholic. How about that? If you say so. Um, probably after you, <laughs> Maybe I'm not so functional. I don't know. <laughs> after, after you lost the Emmys, um, I remember how fucked up it was. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Ash? What about you, Ash? Um, so I've got medical conditions myself besides anxiety and PTSD that I do, you know, regular therapy and like meditation for. Um, but I have, this is wild. I finally got on, I've had neck pain. I've had neck pain since Kevin died. That's the trippy thing. Like six months after he died, this, my neck started acting up. It turns out, um, I have early, um, the MRI showed early osteoarthritis. So I've got a bone tumor, a little osteophyte sticking out between my C5 and C6 back here and it taps on my sciatic nerve. Yeah. So um, I would, I don't know if I would say I'm addicted. I'm more like addicted to not being in chronic pain and trying to sleep. So I use like CBD oils and like THC in lieu of like muscle relaxers. Cause I don't, mm. I don't, I don't like pills. I've got digestive issues. Mm. And they mess well, you know what? I, 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 get, I had some, a surgery about 20 years ago and they gave me um, Vicodin. For pain. I'm allergic to those. Are you? Uh, I sad. am. That's like, but what I did yeah. was I, I saved them until after I recovered because I didn't want to waste them on pain. I <laughs> want them to, to use them <laughs> to, for fun. To, no, I know that for, for fun. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to, I'll put up with the pain so that when I'm better, 
I'll have the Vicodin. I do the I same think- thing. I've tried so much shit over the years, but then when I get like headaches and stuff, I don't even like taking uh, Advil. My wife has to like convince me to do it where I'm just like, no, 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 I'll, I'll tough it out. I'll tough it out. But then I'll take a bong rip later. You know what's really good for headaches and migraines? And I'm not kidding you. I know it sounds super hippie-dish, but go with me here. Essential oils. Like if you look up which essential oils are good for your headaches, you can put them on your temples or wherever it is. And within 15 minutes, it, it decreases either significantly or it's actually gone. I, I, I might try it. But my Xanax. Response. <laughs> what? <laughs> No, no Xanax. You don't need that. You take the Xanax and you just rub a little on your forehead. <laughs> we used you to in crush the pill. <laughs> we used to in college, if you guys remember Four Locos, we would do a Four Loco with a Xanax and call it a Five Loco. Where did you go to school? Rutgers University in New Jersey. Oh, you remember? That's great. <laughs> oh my goodness, Doctor Jerry. So, so during this time right now, you know the pandemic and stuff. Uh, do you, do you have more patients or, or, or less? Well, I, it's been very busy um, and it's picking <laughs> up. It is constantly picking up. Uh-huh. Uh, I say that within the next six months is when I'm really going to see the tsunami come down. Yeah. Um, because with the isolation and liquor stores being open, people have, have created new problems. With the various phases and it being warm and nice out, I think people will kind of keep it together but i think you're going to see the crash where people start realizing they have a problem the marital problems um mm. you know the two things people are calling about is their drinking or mood altering chemical use and it, it tends to be alcohol and, and weed and the other one is their relationship issues now i can hear you <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and the thing is like sometimes it's not even if you're not the one who's um addicted to say alcohol drugs or whatever maybe your spouse is and because you live together see you suffering from that you know indirectly you know mm-hmm. so you have people mm-hmm. like that as well right and you have people that have been who've been hiding and masking it that now they can't yeah you know it's one thing to go to work and you you have a, you know we'll do the exaggerated case you know you get on the train to go to work you got a flask you get off the train, you have a drink, you work during the day, you go out for lunch. You've been able to mask it, and now you're home with your wife or your husband and family, and now it's, you can't keep it together as much. Mm. So what, would be, what your advice would be to, uh, to people in lockdown right now to, to, you know, not to be addicted to whatever? Look, I think in general, if, and we didn't talk about this at all today, but you know, okay, we, or Boris may have asked it or mentioned it before. Okay, so we got the alcohol, drinking, drug use over here. The other piece is the mental health piece of all of this. The amount of depression, the amount of anxiety that people are starting to go through or have been going through because of what we've talked about. Do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? Am I going to get this? You know, all this stuff that's going on. When we look at how to deal with some of these mental health issues, depression and anxiety, I talk about with my patients getting 30 minutes of some type of exercise five days a week, right? What are you eating? Are you getting six to eight hours of sleep a day? Um, are you taking any kind of supplement? And a lot of times we talk about the supplement like vitamin D. If, you know, get outside, get your 20 minutes of sunlight and, and the vitamin D, we need that. 
Uh, one of the things we talk about is the, the social aspect because we're social creatures. So I talk about with my clients about, well, do you pray? Do you meditate? Are you going to therapy? Are you doing any type of group work? Something that gets you out of your head. So whether or not you're an addict or not, we should be working on those things for our mental health piece as well. Um, and, and that balance is going to help. If you have an addiction, it's going to help you um, stay cleaner longer. Statistics do show if you do those first five things I talked about for depression and anxiety, your rate of long-term sobriety goes up 25%. Why? Because you're taking care of your body, your mental mm -hmm. aspect. You're never getting to that point where you feel like you're drowning and, you know, F it, I'll just go use. So during this pandemic, we want to be getting outside, taking the walk, watch what we're eating so that we mentally are, are at our best and, and maybe not developing a new problem. Yeah, I, I always uh, suggest to my friends at least 30 minutes of exercise. They're married couples especially, you know, and I right. highly recommend boxing. You well, know, boxing is great, but what I tell people with exercise... No, with each other. <laughs> I would lose. I would lose to my wife, so, so I'm going to stay away from that. Ass. So when we talk about exercise, I tell people, do, sh do shit that you think is fun. You know, yeah. if you want to go shoot basketball, shoot basketball. If you liked riding a bike as a kid, go ride a bike. It doesn't have to be going to the gym and working out as exercise. Go skateboard. Go do stuff that you enjoy that's fun. Anything that's physical exercise, that's going to help. And you're more likely to continue doing it rather than, oh, I got to go to the gym. You know, obviously gyms aren't open in this area. But yeah. doing stuff that's fun is exercise. Okay. I've been sculpting. Uh, throughout all of this I bought a pottery well before my finger got busted but um, I bought a pottery wheel and I bought like clay and like tools and everything and I've just been making like cups and plates and little tea saucers and stuff um, mm -hmm. I started making little figurines just to, selling those to get money for the film yeah that's actually that's a really good idea I hadn't even <laughs> thought of that uh, I just want to buy a house in the next like year or two. And my whole thing in my head was instead of going to Pottery Barn and registering for all this expensive crap, I'll just make it myself. That's and awesome. so exactly. I just, I've made like one set of plates and then I was on the tea saucers and moving to cups. And then I had, plates. what? You made, you made a whole set of plates. You just make one plate. Yeah. I, I spent like no, six I, months making one plate. Yeah. No, I made I made like plates and I and I found a kiln for under five hundred bucks. So now I can start heating them so I can paint them too. But yeah, like that's what I've been doing throughout all of this. Because I meditate. Um, I was doing hot yoga to help with everything, but obviously the yoga studios are closed. So I take my dog out for long walks and I do meditation and I was sculpting and it was helping. That's awesome. So uh, last question, uh, anonymous the movie. How are people gonna feel when after they see it? Is it a feel good movie? Is it a what, what kind of movie you think? Oh, what God. kind of feeling you think you're gonna like coming out of the theater? I'm gonna be like woo, or I'm gonna be like oh, like what do you think? What your vision? So um, it was a while ago that I realized that as a as an artist, you realize you're never gonna you're never gonna get, keep everybody happy. There's always gonna be someone who hates it, regardless of whether it's any good or not. And there's always people that love it just because I made it, you know, even yeah. if it's trash. Um, I try not to worry too much about that, but the, 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 the feeling I'm hoping that you get from it is that it's, it's uplifting and it's inspiring. Mm -hmm. um, 
there's a teaser trailer out which you can you can check out and the, the teaser trailer that we uh we shot is sort of a short much a drastically shortened down version of the beginning of the film uh, and you'll be able to see if you when you watch that um that uh the start of the movie is kind of stylistically a little bit sinister and a little bit creepy because that's that's kind of the start of the journey and by the end hopefully you've got to the point when you're realizing you're over that mm. and it's uplifting but you know it's weird it's like sometimes when you see things i read a book years ago i can't remember the name of it there's something called like obsession it was about uh, a gambling addiction i read it about 20 25 years ago and uh, it was a scientific book about different examples of people overcoming their gambling addictions but when i read it i just wanted to gamble people mm. telling these stories it made me want to like you know drive down to Atlantic City, just hearing like, you know, people's war yeah. stories, like. Um, and, that, and, that is, and that is a worry. And I did, I did like I said earlier, when, when my friend that I'd done that, I'd gone to for research, had his relapse. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like, I really hope I wasn't a part of that. Like me going to him and asking about his, but, but a little bit like with, with Ash's experience on a much, much like reduced level. Um, I don't think you can worry about that because the wider, the, the wider challenge, if you like, is that if you, I mean, I was saying to Ash the other day, if we spend, there's 50 of us on this team, and if we, if we spend a year, 18 months of our lives making this film, and it saves one person's life, it was worth it. Totally that's a worth concern. It. That's, that's the, that's the, ba- I, the balancing act right there. I think, and not to give anything away, because I yeah, won't do it. I will never do it. But there is stuff, there's an underlying theme in all mm. of this film. I'll, I'll leave. I think that's the best way I can put it. And I think that, I think that people will leave this film shocked. That's what I think. And I think that they'll mm. want more from it um, without hyping it too much. But that's what I can promise because that's how I felt. And I feel like such a generalized moviegoer. So um, I think based on how I felt when I read it, I can only imagine what it's going to be like when I see it and visualize it like on screen. So I think people will be shocked and want more. Yeah, nice. I hope so. I've had a few people actually read the script and say it. to me, this should be a series. You I like told you. Of, you were one of them, right? Yeah. I told you um, that. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, Jurassic World. Yeah, like Jurassic yeah. World. Yeah. God, yeah. Uh, all right, guys, well, well, best of luck, and thank you so much. Tony, you want to share information and anything coming up for you? I ain't going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. Yeah? No I'm shows uh, soon? You have some Zoom, Zoom <laughs> where, shows, Where no? am I going? Yeah? What? No Zoom shows? Uh, nothing right now. No, I did one last week, but no, I'm just, uh, um, you know, I'm hanging out. I'm watching my granddaughter tomorrow, so I'm... Uh, and what's your... Uh, I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm still decompressing from being on the road for the last 10, 15 years, so... Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm good with I'm I'm good with being home and hanging out. Uh, Jerry, you want to share your, you want to share your information or um, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you want. Website. Who you talking to? No, no, Doctor Jerry. Oh, I thought you were talking to somebody else. Uh, no, your turn. Uh, my website is Optoff Psychotherapy, so it's my last name, Psychotherapy. Uh, and it's usually the same thing for like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, all it's the same thing. My last name and then psychotherapy or some, uh, combination of that. Great. Boris? At the Boris K. And you have anything coming up? Uh, no, people can follow Bushwick Bears. We're trying to pivot to a live show as soon as we can get it going again. All right. We've been doing the Zoom shows and I think we're... We're trying to make the pivot. 
Great. And if you guys want to share information about the movie and uh, your Instagram and yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah. So you go ahead. Uh, okay. All right. I was like, I have a lot. That's why I was like, hold on. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so my Instagram is at who is Ash Warren. Um, I am the new. First of all, I work with Female Filmmakers Fuse. We're a 501c3 charity organization based out of LA. I'm the on-air and on-camera host. We have a series on Amazon coming out called The Elevator Pitch that I'm hosting. It's to show like from pitch to post what it looks like to get a film produced. And um, I'm also having a new radio show. It's called Ashes. I'm sorry, Phoenix from the Ashes. Mm. And um, it's going to be on MFK Radio on YoRadio.com premiering July 13th. And um, our film Anonymous is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And it's uh, Anonymous, the film. I think it's Anonymous underscore the film. And uh, uh, Two underscores. Excuse me, excuse Anonymous me. Anonymous underscore the underscore film. There you go. And, and you can check us out there. And Al, what's your stuff? Yeah, you covered most of it. Just me. So I'm at the Alistair Mackay. So make sure you spell it right. As you can see it on the screen. It's Alistair with an A and a D. And the Mackay with M-A-C. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say one thing to you, Alistair, before you go. J-E-T-S! Yes, 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 yes. Let's hope the season happens. Pat's just got Cam Newton, so... This yeah, is, this is, this is not how worried. He, I'm not worried. We've got, we've got a better O-line now. We're going to be fine. This oh. is how you know... <laughs> Spoken like a true you, Jets fan. This is how you know your team suck. When you play fantasy football and you don't pick any of your players. Yes! <laughs> Thank so, you! So yeah, right, and live from America podcast, uh, and see you guys soon. Thank you very much. If you come to New York, visit Comedy Cellar.